0: Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler, and whoever staggers because of them is not wise. Proverbs 21.
1: Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions, weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we doing on this Tuesday?
0: Doing good. We're back on Tuesday nights. Um, got a more regular, consistent schedule going for summer. I say that, but I we're going to have to skip next Tuesday because I'm headed to Seattle, Pacific Northwest. Um, oh, the Emerald City. For uh, the weekend slash early part of next week so i won't be back till wednesday um so we'll have to do a later week podcast next week um and i'll let you know if uh kurt cobain is still dead over there Uh, so uh yeah that's the plans for uh my weekend so i'm excited i haven't seen my parents in like eight months nine months ten months who knows so many months yeah many months so it'll be good to see them uh for a bit and then come home and then pretty much after that i'll be landlocked because the wife's pregnant so got like you know 13 more weeks left we're in the final trimester
1: oh no we're going to san diego at the end of july that's right that's
0: right (laughs) priorities this smells really good
1: it does how are you doing Tim? i'm doing really well distracted (laughs) Doing really well myself. Had a good Father's Day. Got a electric or electronic, same thing, electronic humidor. Oh. Fills 100. It's right here, over here, off to the side, sitting off into the nice and secluded. Keeps both temperature and uh, humidity. Wow. The... Uh, I have three three humidors, two standard boxes, and then one kind of big one with a glass cover. They do fairly well, and I smoke. When I smoke them, they, it, you know, they take a nice proper time to smoke, but they're a little. They're still a little crunchy, mm. uh, or uh, rock hard, which some people actually like. I don't. I like it real, they're where they're really spongy. So. Um, Anyway, I'd been keeping an eye on this thing and it was on sale for a good price over the weekend um, on Amazon. So my wife said, Yep, get it for your Father's Day gift. So pulled the trigger, came in today. It is seasoning now. So uh, won't really be up and running in time for Saturday's cigar club, but it'll give me something to talk shit about to everybody else. So,
0: right. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah
1: here, beer, talking guys, living
0: life with some We're drinking beer tonight. Oh, this is delicious. Um, give it a minute, in my opinion. Uh, this is the uh, from Carl Strauss Brewing Company and the Green Cheek Beer Company. It's called the Squawk Box IPA. Uh, it's uh, got a really tasty flavor at the front end, but then, golly, is it bitter hold through for a lot longer
1: it is bitter on the back but I like it it's good though maybe see shorty glasses we're drinking out of yeah Uh. yeah no that's tasty Well done, Carl Strauss.
0: Yes. We have a brewery in our area that used to be one of the head brewers for Carl Strauss.
1: Yeah, they're one of the big breweries down in San Diego. Uh, We get some of their beer up here sometimes. Uh, Clown Shoes, I think. No, Clown Shoes is somebody else. Boat Shoes is, I think, the one we get. Maybe one or two other ones. Clown Shoes is another brewery. Anyway, uh, good stuff. Uh, I have not been to the location in San Diego, or I think they have multiple locations in San Diego, but I've been to the one in Anaheim, across the street from Anaheim Stadium, Mm. Angel Stadium, and it's a nice location, pretty good food, uh, close to Disneyland. That's when we went, we got there the night before going to Disneyland, and it was nearby our hotel, so everybody was doing Disneyland, Papa got to pick out the brewery he wanted to go to. All right. Any hot topics or cleanups? Mm. I mentioned something at church on Sunday. I don't remember what the heck I said I wanted to mention. So
0: I don't remember either. What are you listening to this week?
1: What am I listening to this week? I am... <laughs> I've been listening to you, too. Nice. Uh, as a result of our podcast from a couple of weeks ago, I've been listening to them quite a bit. Uh... Listening to more of the albums that I don't normally go to, Zuropa is not one of my favorites, but you mentioned on the podcast a song you like from it. So I was listening to uh, Zuropa quite a bit. And then um, if you go on Spotify and Apple, they've got a... One of the nice things I like about the digital music is it's allowing artists to re-release their albums with, a you know are like four discs kind of sets. And yeah. so uh, I I know when we were doing our podcast, you'd mention Bad Live being on Joshua Tree, and I was adamant it was no, not. No, I said
0: it was on 40 Live, and you said, no, it's... Or I said that it was on Rattle and Hum Live. That's right. Joshua Tree, but it was on... Uh,
1: but it was Wide Awake in America. Wide Awake in America. There is, though, a live version on a... Ver- on a a special album of Joshua Tree, and it was recorded in 87 in Chicago. Uh, it's pretty good. It's not as good as the White Awake in America version, uh, but they do have a version of 40 also on that quote unquote box set that's amazing. It's live. It goes on for like seven minutes. Uh, Bono starts singing Hallelujah a bunch of times, crowd singing with him. He walks off stage. The uh, crowd keeps singing. And then uh, Larry Mullen Jr. comes out and starts playing the drums a little bit more to keep the the crowd going as they're singing and then uh, the song ends. But uh, anyway, just uh, listening to that. And then an, not anything in particular, but our mutual friend Eric did a wedding a couple weeks ago, a month ago, and had a pretty cool playlist for the music uh, for the dinner time. And he shared me uh, that list and it's just a nice eclectic list of i don't even know what kind of music you call it it's a lot of new country and i don't know what the other kind of it's got like nathaniel ratliff and uh zach bryan and it's in anyway it's really good nice how about you
0: uh yeah just bob dylan
1: no more Bob Dylan. I
0: said it was going to happen. I was like, I had heard that song and I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to go on a Bob Dylan kick this week. And that's what I've been doing. Uh, just listening to Bob Dylan. Um, enjoying it. Yeah. Good stuff. So that's mainly it. Who knows what I'll be listening to when I come back from Seattle, though. So <laughs> A lot of grunge. A lot of sound. <laughs> some Sound gardening, sound garden, Yeah. Uh,
1: Pearl Jam. Allison yeah. Chains. Nirvana. Nirvana. Uh who else? Jimi
0: Hendrix, maybe. Who knows? Oh
1: Jimi Hendrix. Uh da, 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 da. who's another one? Mother Love Bone.
0: A lot of great musicians from Seattle.
1: All right. So this week's topic is consumerism. And the church. It's based on a sermon our pastor Forrest Jenin, did what, six weeks ago, probably, sometime this yeah, year. Sometime. Um uh, really good sermon talking about um how consumerism is the new religion of the United States and in fact of the Western world, you could argue, of the entire world now, with how pervasive. American culture has become worldwide even as I I can attest in the slums of Nairobi Kenya um although they're too poor to worry about consumerism but um you know they're buying our t-shirts and drinking our soda and all that kind of thing so um yeah how consumerism is the new religion and how consumerism has seeped into the church and warped the church quite a bit and so we're going to deal with that topic tonight and Flesh it out a little bit more than what he was able to do in twenty five minutes. Yeah. Uh, So it's based on he. It's funny
0: that you think Forrest takes twenty five minutes only.
1: Is it longer than that?
0: It's forty minutes every week. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, it doesn't seem like it.
0: Yeah, it's forty. I was like, I, I usually take a look back at the clock and then, and it's around forty minutes a week. They probably say it's like 36 38 every week. It's
1: probably oh, good for him. It doesn't yeah. seem like it.
0: I know, that's why I said it's funny. <laughs> uh okay, so cuz some of you have pastors that go on for hours.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes more is not better and sometimes less is not more. There's there is a fine balance. Um okay, so he was not specific on the article he was using or had been the germ for his sermon that day, but he said it was a recent article, so as best I could figure, uh, I found the article. It was it appeared on Kerry Newhoff's website. Kerry Newhoff is a... Oh, what would you call him? He's a Christian... He's kind of like a Christian... Um, oh boy he's not a thought leader maybe he deals on a lot of training uh I think training with pastors and stuff like that. He has a podcast uh anyway, Carrie Newhoff. Uh, it appeared on his website although he didn't write it it is the article is actually written by Joe Terrell who is content manager at com, and then appears has other writings on other platforms so i'm going to read from the article and then we're going to respond as we go and then kind of flesh out stuff that he's talking about so yeah for the past six decades, the local and institutionalized church has position, positioned itself as a place to be entertained, discover your purpose, and, quote, plug in to community. And it's a strategy that's been wildly successful, until now, echoing national trends of a growing distrust of large institutions, the 2017 Gallup Poll found that 41% of Americans view the church as a, quote, trustworthy organization, unquote. According to Barna Research Study, only 2 out of 10 millennials believe church attendance is important or worthwhile. At the same time, nearly 40% of millennials consider themselves religiously unaffiliated. Additionally, members of Gen Z, the generation currently entering college, are twice as likely to identify as atheists than the general population. What happens to large institutions when people begin to lose faith in large institutions? In other words, what happens when miming secular culture finally (laughs) leads the church down a road it can't follow without dismantling itself? While high-profile scandals, partisan politics, and generational shifts in opinion regarding controversial social issues certainly contribute to modern disillusionment of organized religion, I believe a much larger unifying force is at play here. It's called consumerism, and it affects nearly every aspect of your life consumerism has not only infiltrated infiltrated our understanding and application of christianity but is also essentially a religion in and of itself and by almost every metric it could easily be considered the most successful religion in the history of humankind all right what is consumerism consumerism is a cultural ethic born out of the of advent of mass production, and further cemented by the advertising boom of the 50s and 60s. Consumerism hinges on the belief that if we only bought what we needed, our economy would collapse. I'm going to stop right there. Just think of George W. Bush the day after 9-11 saying, uh, we're going to go to war, but everybody continue to go out and buy crap. Therefore, the goal of consumerism is to create artificial demands for goods and services you don't really need and probably didn't even know existed. Consumer, consumerism is so much more than an advertising strategy. It's a worldview that fundamentally alters the way we approach our bodies, our relationships, our mental health, and our religion. There is no aspect of the American experience that hasn't been infiltrated by consumerism. In The Shattered Lantern, Ronald Rallheiser writes, Our lives become consumed with the idea that unless we somehow experience everything, travel everywhere, see everything, and are part of a larger number of people's experience, then our own lives are small and meaningless. It's an economic system that thrives on your lack of self-control and preys on your insecurities. We give magazines, home makeover TV shows, and social media accounts permission to sow discontent in our personal lives and shape our desires for something better. From diamond engagement rings to home ownership, we've been led to believe that bigger is better by corporations and financial institutions that profit from that very belief. Our religions, our religious and national holidays have become excuses to shop. Products like cars and smartphones are purposely designed to make you yearn for the newer model. One of the fastest growing real estate markets in the U.S. Is, a st- is storage containers so we can fill them up with stuff we can't fit into our two big houses. We are taught through an endless barrage of advertising that love is best expressed through the exchange of expensive gifts and purpose can be attained by a, a trip abroad. The consumer culture has slyly co- uh, commodified conversations about happiness, contentment, Mindfulness and empowerment into conversations about individualism and materialism under the banner of pursuing an authentic life. Even the virtue of simplicity quickly became the marketable aesthetic of minimalism, another quote-unquote lifestyle only available to those wealthy enough to afford it. (laughs) In Sapiens, Yuval Noah Harari writes, Consumerism sees the consumption... Of ever more products and services as a positive thing, it encourages people to treat themselves, spoil themselves, and even kill themselves slowly by overconsumption. Frugality is a disease to be cured. Consumerism has worked very hard with the help of popular psychology. Just do it to convince people that indulgence is good for you, whereas frugality is self-oppression." Consumerism absorbs, modifies, and commodifies pre-existing belief systems and ideologies. And Christianity is not immune. Because, make no mistake, consumerism is a religion. Our temples, our malls, and digital storefronts, our altars, our checkout counters, and online baskets, our priests, our advertising agencies, our sacrifices, are the dollars, and our checking account, and God is our unmet desires." I'll stop there.
0: So, what's the solution, Tim?
1: Well, I, let's just—I nope, don't think. No, nope, can...
0: nope. You're wrong. <laughs> it's to transcend. We become Henry David Thoreau. We go live out in the middle of the woods. He said, "I went to the woods because I wish to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life." to see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, wow. discover that I had not lived. Wow.
1: Colton came with Thoreau. Like, loaded up. Never, never preps like this.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think what's good is if you're, if you zoned out through any of that consumerism, it's a part of your life. Um and I mean, like, we've talked about it a couple of times on the show already where we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, how it's affecting our worship ministry, how it's affecting a church on a Sunday morning. Um, those are all huge aspects, but also understanding that this is something that is playing a part in your life and it's something that you are participating in on a regular basis. Um, kind of something to be leery about um, and that consumerism is really just... And where it was birthed at was from this push um, for you to buy things that you didn't necessarily need. Um, And we do this on a regular basis. Um, And is it wrong? I don't know. Right? Is it Christian? I don't know. Tim's looking at his humidor right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, uh, it's just one of those things where it's like. Yeah,
1: we're sitting in a room with the. A new electronic humidor, and I do like fifty <laughs> bottles of whiskey and bourbon over there, right behind your shoulder. So,
0: but that's because they didn't know that it was. They, for anybody that's listening to this, you just didn't know until now that it was a necessity. Like, <laughs> you just thought to yourself that it wasn't, but it it's a necess- it's a necessity. It was needed, um, and so that's the question: Is it wrong? No, like there's there's aspects of it that are good, that are fine. I don't know if good is the term uh, and they bring joy and happiness and spurts. Um, but ultimately, like, is that what you are gaining your life from? So and it's it's a lot more obvious. So, I mean, if I was to talk with Tim and we were to have a discussion about, you know, what is happiness? What does it look like? Um mm, we would sit there and we would both say, like, you know, it's really about sharing opportunities with friends. And I know that when uh, Tim has his humidor, he thinks about smoking with his friends. He thinks about uh, those types of things. It's really not a just a me, myself, like I just want this, um, which is kind of the dangers of consumerism. Whereas if I ask my students, and especially now because of how pervasive it has gotten, If I ask a group of 14-year-olds, and you may laugh and be like, well, of course they're going to say that, but in all seriousness, at what point does it shift to where I ask them, what is more important? Is it important to love someone for the rest of your life, or is it important to have millions of dollars? And they'll all say it's millions of dollars. I've asked them. I've I've done the question to my classes, and all of them, hands down, choose money every single time, which is... I mean, if you're listening to this show, you may agree with them. You're like, yeah, money could solve a lot of problems for me. So, um, I don't know. It's tough. Uh,
1: I would say, look, uh, consumerism, there are a lot of things that come along in society and civilization that are really just a, they're a manifestation of what technology allows for and So the reason consumerism came about because of the uh, radio. Yes, we had newspapers before, but I mean, you were limited by advertising radio and then you have television and then it really explodes um, as television grows. And then we have the internet. And so um, there, it's no, it's not a, coincidence that consumerism explodes once people are starting to put televisions in their households and we have things like magazines as well and so companies are really starting to be able to craft this
0: or where you receive an advertisement every five swipes of your phone well yeah and then
1: we've got that now so
0: or you can't watch a YouTube video without getting an advertisement
1: and I would imagine I don't. I have not taken. I didn't take any courses on it in college. But I, I would imagine there's probably a lot of psychological um, analysis that goes into it. That's <laughs> that's frankly very clever and manipulative. They know how the human brain works, and so um, and so a lot of it is you know. The, yes, they're manipulating. Now, one of the reasons why you know you. The article will continue to go, we'll keep reading from the article, and the article is going to point out why the church, um, by adopting consumerism, has hurt itself. But one of the things I think that secular, let's, let's talk about this in terms of brands. One of the reasons why I think it's actually consumerism has hurt the church, not because we've adopted it, but because we've done a terrible job branding ourselves. And if you, you're hearing this, you're like, well, the church shouldn't be branding itself. I, yes, I, I agree. It shouldn't be intentionally branding itself. But to the extent that it has it, t- intentionally or unintentionally branded itself, in the age of mass communication, that branding has largely been as we have discussed on multiple episodes and will continue to be a center point of the podcast as a whole, as a show, it has largely advertised itself, branded itself as us versus them. Yeah. And rules and reasons for being in the club and not a reason for finding purpose in the club. Right. And, you know, they the writer there mentioned Nike just do it. Uh Apple's the other Nike and Apple and Coca-Cola are probably the three greatest brands on the planet. You can maybe come up with some other, but those are three in the pantheon for sure. Apple's is think different and Coca-Cola uh I can't remember what their catchphrase is, but they've certainly, you know, sold people on Coca-Cola. Um, they have sold a sense of belonging to, if you are a Nike per, if you're buying Nike because you're part of this tribe that believes in something, even if you really don't believe it when you're buying these shoes, certainly when you're buying an Apple product and full disclosure, I've been an Apple person since 1984 when my dad bought a Macintosh the year it came out. So I am all in on the... The Apple uh, cult, but you are sold on it. Yes, I'm going to pay more, but I'm getting there's I'm getting something out of it. Being an Apple member, uh, Apple uh, consumer means I have <laughs> I'm aesthetically better than uh, people who <laughs> who buy Windows products and that kind of thing. So I don't think the church has really sold a purpose very well, and in fact. In the moments where we have kind of seen positive moments in the church, whether it be the Billy Graham crusades or even even though we've not spoken highly of them, um, even <laughs> Rick Warren, it is trying to sell that that purpose, and it's not about you're going to hell and you need Jesus because otherwise you're not gonna you're you're not gonna go to heaven and if you do these things, you're not a Jesus follower, which, again, a lot of the church...
0: Yeah, it's not the right purpose. ...publicly,
1: and you might say, look, I've been in churches all my life, and I've never been in a church like that. There are a lot of churches that don't preach this, but whether we like it or not, the public-facing church, the ones that have ended up on television, the ones that have popularized themselves in politics, and then therefore been covered by the media, have certainly been a more toxic us versus them version and that brand has not sold very well to use crude language
0: or i mean even like it also comes from the ignorance of people that don't really understand because like i said those people could have walked into a church that was loving and caring or whatever, but they felt judged or misguided in there. Um, and I don't want to discount their feelings, but they gave it one try and then they were like, okay, these people are, sure, you know, anti-me and anti-what it is that I have going on for me. And so that becomes difficult for them um, in the future. And to which they then spread that message of negativity about the image of church and A lot of people that are growing up in churches, uh, when we talk about the millennials, as it said, they didn't grow up having positive experiences in church. You're going to find that, honestly, a lot of Gen Xers and a lot of um, uh, boomers didn't really have a positive experience in church, but it's what their parents did, and and so they feel some sort of civic duty to do it, almost like voting um, is the idea. But millennials are kind of people that are like, we don't really care about that. And then it's even going to be different for the Gen Zers. Um, But there's kind of a beauty that comes from it because uh, from this point, it's no longer a, there's good and bad that comes with it. Bad is churches across America are going to die as more and more people walk away from the church. But also there's an intentionality now behind uh, the most, not most, or, uh, well, a lot of the people that now participate in church, um, they are people that are intentionally choosing to be there on a regular basis, as opposed to just being like, well, it's, you know, it's what dad always did, so I got to be here. Um, and so there's there's hope. Like, I don't want to sit there and be like, it's all dreary and and dark skies ahead. Like, there's good things that are going to come from it, but... Just in this stage where we're at, there is this negative image. And a lot of people that have experienced church, they either have a negative idea about it. Most people have a negative idea about school, right? Like these are things where it's like they were forced to go to this thing. Um, They could have had great teachers the whole way through, but they're like, school is not for me. I don't like it. I have to sit in this room for hours on end. And for some of you, that is how you feel about church. I know plenty of. People that go to church every Sunday, but what do they do? They stand outside for the entire time. They don't go in and participate in the music or the listening to the sermon or anything like that. They just stand outside, and that's all that they want to do when they go to church. Um, and, that's a, and that's what we're talking about with church as far as like a Sunday service type thing. Um, so, I mean, these are all... The ends, like, so is that person any better than the person that stays at home?
1: Well, let's get to that. <laughs> All right, let me, let's, let's, I'm going to read how we got here. At the same time, color TVs were making their way into the living room in America and entertainment industry was experiencing its heyday. Some of the most iconic films and brands were born out of this era. This is the 1970s. How could a stuffy church service possibly compete with Star Wars, the Rolling Stones, televised sports, and the bloom of New Age spirituality? However, a few innovative pastors began to experiment with new ways of doing church. Instead of shying away from cultural expectations, these ministries leaned in and began crafting a church experience with something to offer everyone. In How Church Became Cruise Ships, Sky Jethani writes, the logic was simple. If the baby boomers did not feel the need to connect with God, then perhaps another felt need would draw them into church, the need for community or entertainment or help with their children in marriages. While they consumed the upbeat music, support groups, dramas, and therapeutic sermons, the hope was that they would find God as well. Evangelical churches began orienting their Sunday morning services around worship experiences with an emphasis on production. In the 1990s, the emphasis shifted, offering programs, art, services that mimicked the secular culture, but offered, quote, a Christian twist. New churches stripped religious iconography from their exteriors and interiors and gravitated toward an architectural style that blended the aesthetics of a mall, community college campus, and movie theater. Church could be anything as long as it wasn't boring. And this cycle began to perpetuate itself, the growth and direction of the modern church were inf- in- fueled and influenced by money donated by the congregations, attracted by entertainment and conditioned by consumerism. In forgotten ways, Pastor Alan Hirsch writes, "With them, win them with entertainment, and you have to keep them there by entertaining them for a whole lot of reasons." This commitment seemed to get harder year after year. We end up creating a whip for our own backs, and this creates all sorts of weird problems. For example, people become more prone to leave if the reason they were attracted to a church, entertainment community, etc., in the first place gets a sleeker, more productive counterpart in the cult- in the secular culture. This phenomenal this phenomenon explains in part the surge of popularity in "quote unquote" community-based fitness programs like CrossFit and SoulCycle. Additionally, seeker-friendly churches that construct their congregational appeal around family-oriented programming often find it difficult to engage young professionals who don't have children and re-engage parents whose children have left home. It is important to note that none of this was driven by ill intentions. It's simply an organization responding to market pressure. And a lot of these changes were for the better. Obviously, we shouldn't try to make our church experience more miserable and inaccessible to the average American. And it worked. God clearly used and is using the attractive, attraction, attractional model to change countless lives for the sake of the gospel. But there was a cost, and it's catching up to us. Okay. Uh, A lot in there, particularly (laughs) the the little bit about the modern church and being geared to families. That has been a problem that's been discussed for decades. I remember when I was a college leader reading a lot of stuff, uh, college groups all around the country small churches big churches were really having a hard time finding any kind of stickiness with college students uh, I think a lot of it was just again the culture was secularizing and parents didn't know that their kids just weren't buying it the, the Christianity had stopped becoming this generational thing that just kicked over for whatever reason but also there was a lot of kickback from and, and feedback from college students and, and recent college grads who were writing about their church experience saying like, yeah, it's there's really no place for 20-somethings.
0: Yeah, and I don't think there ever will be. Um, uh, I think that they're an excitable group. Um, they're also a very fickle group. Um, so inconsistent um, in their schedules, in their life. Uh, and so therefore, they're not—and I mean, like, this is, this is the hard facts. Like, I went to uh, this church uh, in Northern California called Bayside, um, and I talked with their youth pastor there. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. And I went there, and we talked about high school ministry, junior high ministry, and college ministries. And— he, They have a college campus that they partner with. They have William Jessup uh, Universities right there, Um, Christian Campus. They get a lot of students from there. But how many of those actually stay and they retain? Because, again, what they're doing, and whether we like it or not, is you still view where you put your money based off of who brings in money. And so when it comes to college students, because they aren't – Um, stable enough. They're not there on a regular basis. And what's the other key factor? They don't tithe. Right. Um, High school students, junior high students, they don't tithe. And there's no direct correlation between high school ministries and junior high ministries that they bring in their parents to be tithers. So the reason why family ministry is always really good or focusing on children's ministry and why that's always such a huge ticket item and why churches focus on it is because you are, have now guaranteed the parent for several years. And they're more likely to be involved if their kid is involved, and for them to also, and the more that their time that they spend there, then the more likely they are to give. These are also people that are a little bit farther along um, in their lives, they have more money most of the time. Um, so that's why that middle class uh, um, soccer mom. Setting is actually basically the backbone of churches across America. Is it's that it's the moms that are getting their kids involved, in what's the mops? Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> that are um, they are dr- the driving force of uh, they're the most likely to volunteer and help out because that's what they're doing with their kids in school, they're still actively participating, but as the kid becomes less likely to engage with mom and dad, the parents pull further back. And so you get less volunteers in junior high and high school and especially in college. And then eventually you end up with um, that kind of idea where, you know, again, it's not making you any money and it will continue. I still believe it will continue to make the church money if they focus on the family ministry, because again, like it said before, this is now offering childcare, So people are going to still continue to have kids. They're going to keep bringing um, their kids on a Sunday morning. They're like, oh, my gosh, it just at least gives me an hour break or whatever um, kind of stuff. Uh, and it's free. Um, so those are I, – I agree. But, again, this is something that literally a staff member at Bayside said, like, yeah, it's, it's a money thing. And it's literally you look at every single person that comes into the church as a staff member. And this and this guy's specialty at Bayside, so he was one of their junior high directors, but he was also one that goes and fixes um, youth ministries across the country. So uh, people will call Bayside and say, hey, what are we doing wrong with our youth ministry? He'll go in there, he'll look at their books, he'll go and he'll talk to their boards and he'll be like, okay, this is what you need to do, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you literally have to view people as... A dollar sign, like every single time. And so how many people are worth more dollar signs than others? And really, junior high and high school ministries, they're not worth anything. College ministries, they're not worth anything. You should not throw money at that because it's, it's a bad return on your investment. Right. And is that how we're supposed to view the world in as Christians? Is that how we're supposed to look at it?
1: Well, if the church is an entertainment complex, which is what it is, then yeah, you have to look at it that way. You
0: have to look at it that way. Exactly. And that's
1: the cold, that's the dirty... That's the rub. That's the rub. And that's... and it is essentially an entertainment complex.
0: Yeah. The church, and when we talk about the church, we're talking about that Sunday morning, you know, idea. That's not necessarily our mission and our vision that we're called to. Um This is just, if you want to... No,
1: we're talking about Sunday and then whatever your children, if you've got children, Children, whatever children and then whatever like small group you're involved in, if that's like on campus and that requires, and then, you know, whatever other program program things that
0: your church might do. Right, what is your local church doing um, and how is that affecting you? Is this something that we should be buying into or no? Um, And like, again, I'm not trying to be skeptical um, in a bad way to where you're just like, um, well, you know, what do we do? Like do um no thank you tank. Um <laughs> you know, you can get angry or upset about it, but really at the end of the day, like this is just the truth of how big it has gotten. Um and that's why I still think that there's a lot of good behind uh the home church and kind of getting back to some of those basics. Um and again this is also for those people that do believe that you need to be actively participating in a local church type setting. Right. Cuz again there's some of you that may listen to this and you're like I don't really feel like I need to actually go to church and um or um go participate um in this. And we've talked about that before on the show that there is there is good that comes from um being a participant. Um, and contributing to a community, but also that being said is I don't necessarily always believe that it's a really large church setting um, that you need to be an active participant in. Um, Like I said, the home church is really nice if you've got you and a couple of friends that are able to meet and actually have a genuine conversation about that kind of stuff and you guys plan it out or whatever you do maybe like a little acoustic guitar setting or maybe you knew no music at all whatever and you just meet for like an hour a week you maybe have dinner or breakfast or whatever um that can count just as much and help counteract some of this idea of um you know the church has to be bigger than it is but i think we should continue on a little bit before we get to that kind of stuff
1: uh yeah you the way you're going i think kind of Touches what there's going to say next. Okay, so the high, next part of the article is the high cost of consumer Christianity. If you've been an active church member in the past decade, you've likely heard sermons about nominal or in-name-only Christians. This is shorthand for the type of churchgoer who churchgoers who attend the Sunday service and participate in some of the programs but lives virtually indistinguishable from the surrounding culture. And there's a little bit of irony in this because the system that laments Vapid and shallow Christianity is often the same system that creates vapid and shallow Christians. For example, within Christian publishing, there exists a broad market for books and articles that point out the deficiency in the modern-day church and churchgoer, of which you could include this very article. In Forgotten Ways, Pastor Alan Hirsch writes, Whether we choose choose it or not, almost all expressions of church in the West are implicitly vulnerable to non-discipleship, professionalized ministry— spiritual passivity, and consumerism. The problem is rooted in the profoundly non-missional assumptions of the system itself. It's fast food Christianity. It may get the job done, but just like fast food, a steady diet of it will result in sluggish, unhealthy, and euphoria-addicted Christians. Instead of the church becoming a place where the people of God are equipped for works of service, showing up to church becomes an end unto itself. And instead of becoming a launchpad into the world, Christianity becomes a belief system that insulates us from the world. Consumerism trains our brains to treat products and experiences as disposable, and a church environment designed for consumption is no different. In The Jesus Way, theologian Eugene Peterson writes, If there... Are a nation of consumers, obviously the quickest and most effective way to get them into our congregations is to identify what they want and offer it to them, satisfy their fantasies, promise them the moon, recast the gospel in consumer terms, entertainment, satisfaction, excitement, adventure problem solving, whatever. This is not the way in which we become less and less, and Jesus becomes more. This is not the way in which our sacrificed lives become available to others in justice and service. Consumer Christianity has placed our needs and desires at the desires at the center of God's universe. And I'm not talking about the easy punching bag of the prosperity gospel. It's far more subtle than you might expect in with reimagining the way you relate to God. Pastor Sky Jathani writes, Religion is a means to an end, a more spiritual method of achieving our desires, whether they are the products of advertising or of nobler sources. Those who relate to God as the Almighty Provider hold a decidedly one-dimensional view, understanding of Him. God gives and we receive. Through consumer Christianity, the value of God in our lives becomes predicted on how well, He fulfills our needs, whether that's a better place, a better marriage, our emotional well-being, a meaningful life, or an enthralling worship experience. Our view of God becomes something one study referred to as a combination of divine butler and cosmic therapist. Perhaps an even more troubling, perhaps even more troubling. A recent article from Christianity Day explored the sobering reality. That the worship music industry has the ability to shape our view of God based solely on the financial success of songs and artists. In the end, consumer Christianity becomes a self-serving religion where the weekly highlight is a short concert and lecture on a Sunday morning. It's a recipe for spiritual disillusionment and a formula for shallow faith.
0: I was fighting off a vicious dog there for a while, so you're going to have to recap for me. All
1: right, before we recap what that last bit was, beer number two. Mm, beer. Uh, I don't remember
0: what it's called. It's in fine print on it's the... It's from
1: Seek Beer Company, which i never heard of. And, yes, the they really highlight the brewery, but the name of the beer is... Elusive Outsider, Hazy IPA, with (laughs) Moteca, Nectaron, and Nelson Salvin Hops. It is Seek Beer Company, San Diego, California.
0: Uh, by the way, seek is S E E K.
1: Yes, which is a fitting for this week's episode. Shout out to all you seeker churches.
0: I just think it's funny that we continue to sit there and talk about how we go to an Anabaptist church and they're like, "Oh, yeah, no shit, these guys are gonna do a a broadcast on anti-consumerism." <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna be like, "Yeah, they really are." They can like throw over there.
1: Well, during our during the sermon that our pastor gave on this, he was very clear. We, they spend an that immense amount are, of time gathering a participant. Yeah, uh, they spend an immense amount of time gathering data on what works and what doesn't work. Now, what he what he said was. We don't let those numbers drive what we're doing. We, they just inform us where problems are. Which is, I think, what any good, let's call it, polling should do. If you have a conviction, you still do the polling, but you don't change your mind because the popularity says, oh, that doesn't work. It just informs you we got a problem. So we either need to work better at trying to do what we're trying to do or, you know, or but...
0: I still think it's a little horseshit. I was like, ah, I think he's like, oh, here's big bad, uh, and he's like, which we do partake of, but it doesn't really do. And it's like, ah, I think like, I mean, like it's the whole idea of like the invisible hand. Like if you sit there and say like it doesn't exist and it's not pulling the the strings of how things are going. Like if you don't acknowledge that to some stake, like you're kidding yourself. Like well, I he think- was
1: also very. Look, he was also very. Uh, he made fun of himself in the church. He said, Look, you know, you got. We know why you guys are here. We put on a good show on Sunday. We, you know, but, do but a, we put on a good show we on do a a Sunday.
0: A, we throw food trucks out. Yeah. Here. We, we said we have a pastor on our board that's only hired for communications, which means that he's supposed to make our <laughs> graphics look really nice on a Sunday morning. Yeah. No, they do stuff like all, No, it's a very. It's,
1: <laughs> it's a. It's a very consumer driven church or at least it's it's a very modern church. it's every it's every bit the church that is being described in this article right So the this in this last bit of the article, I, I think you know what they're trying to what he's trying to point out is once you adopt that mindset, then, your sermons start becoming what people want to hear. And, you know, you, yeah, yeah. and it's church, be, church becomes a transactional thing. And at our church, certainly it's transactional and that, if, you know, you show up every other, at least once a month, you know, food trucks are going to be there. So if you don't really want to go, well, at least i will got a, you know, a meal, a decent meal out of it from a nice food truck. Uh, but one of the things you and I enjoy about our pastor and is that he won't sit there and tell people what they want to hear. Yeah. In fa- in fact, all too often he seems very, he seems to relish in telling people, I don't care what you think. I mean, he doesn't say don't leave. He's very adamant. We want you to be here. Even if you don't agree with what is being presented at the pulpit, that's what we think is, uh... Uh, that's one of the strengths of our church But he won't pull punches on what he thinks On key imp- key things about the Bible And challenging people As to what their walk, uh, faith journey should be How they walk through life with their faith
0: Yeah, I think When it comes to Forrest in particular um, Which is who we're talking about uh, I think that he's very good uh, just being like, yeah, I think like you said, it's, it's really good that he just says, um, he lays out what we define as the truth or what we are, or how we are looking at it. There's a lot of times where he'll talk about, Hey, this is just an opinion. I just want you to think about it. Uh, very similar to how we run this podcast sometimes where we're just like, Hey, this is just something that I just want you to kick around for a little bit. Um, and that's really good. I'd say that Forrest's heart is in the right place. Um, it's just – yeah, I think – and I think the article would suggest it as well is that you you cannot survive as a church nowadays unless you buy into this. Um, so we can sit there and, I mean, like this is also the beauty of when we went through mere Christianity and we talked about, you know, everyone's a hypocrite. Um and yeah, in a way – I and I did kind of say it just a little bit ago that like, yeah, he's getting up there and it's almost hypocrisy. You know, there's this – you have this church that is running off of the consumeristic model and he's saying like, well, like we don't really – and it's like, well, no, like you do. Um, but again, it's – but it's it something that's unavoidable and do you sit there and do you blame the church for it? If that's the way that they're going to be able to survive and thrive and like it said in the article where it says this has helped hundreds and thousands of people. Millions of people have been saved because of the consumeristic model. But it's saying that things are going to catch up and there are going to be downsides to it and we're saying that right now there is a downside. Um our church as it stands right now is still pretty soccer mom heavy would you disagree
1: no our yeah no our church is very soccer mom heavy it's uh it's very at least one degree if not two degree uh, college degree heavy uh i think it i think it's more racially diverse than you do um but it's, I mean, it's not like we have a bunch of the Hispanics we have going are multi-generational American Hispanics. They're not like, you know, new to the United States Hispanics. So it's a very... Um,
0: and we're talking very few to minimal African-American. Uh, right.
1: But to be fair, in our neighbor, in our neck of California, we have, I don't know, yeah, African-Americans yeah. is like 2% of the population, right, I right, think. Right, right, right. Um, But it's still... So it's predominantly it's white technically it's a white church even if you include the hispanics which should be included as white thanks tank Jeez louise um
0: which again for this area that's not uncommon Uh, no if you're sitting there thinking that that's like a huge issue um that we should be tackling you just i would say that you're possibly not really familiar with the juggernaut that the catholic church is in our area like it is a uh it is a dominating church that uh that uh really dictates a lot of life in this area um not in a bad way like i say dictates but like there's um uh, there's events, all that kind of stuff around our entire area and especially due to the fact that we have in Tulare, our particular town that we're in right now is largely Portuguese and Hispanic. So, I mean, Portuguese still represents white, um, European, um, but yet they have a huge uh, uh, foothold in the Catholic Church as well as uh, the, uh, the Mexican-Americans um, and uh, uh, Latin-Americans. Um, in our area so um, and they would already associate themselves as they should as being a part of the Christian church so you wouldn't be like converting them it would be the same thing as like trying to get somebody from like a, like a Pentecostal church to come try out your church kind of stuff um, but the Catholics in our area are extreme like this is what you are like this is your identity um and it's and it's really in to the system that way so um so if you're sitting there thinking like that's a problem like you guys need more diversification you got to know like kind of the whole setup around our area um and what that looks like um so if you are familiar with that then there you go but if you don't know that's kind of how it goes um so there's a (laughs) damn it tank
1: There's a quote I want to hone in on that I I think gets to a good discussion point. Um, It's Alan Hirsch writing in his book, Forgotten Ways. Whether we choose it or not, almost all expressions of church in the West are implicitly vulnerable to non-discipleship. Professionalized ministry, which I think there's non-discipleship because of professionalized ministry. Spiritual passivity and consumerism, the problem is rooted in the profoundly non-missional assumptions of the system itself. So... Uh, I think one of the reasons why we do have this more passive non-discipleship situation infecting the church is because we've professionalized it. And it's become something way more professionalized than it needed to be. And at the same time, we don't, and that you say, well, you know, the before Catholic Church, you had priests, and that's fine, but uh, it was expected you you would attend church on a much more regular basis. It was almost a daily daily basis, depending. Uh, yeah, for a lot of Catholics. Yeah. Um, and then also there was just, I wouldn't call it discipleship that uh, the church was engaged in for a long time, whether it be the Catholic or the Protestant Church. It was more just outright <laughs> coercion so discipleship in a proper way i don't and this is something that i don't think even the church we go to now as much as we enjoy it, i get i don't have any sense that our church is very good at discipling people there's they have certainly have small groups and i'm sure within those small groups people are getting something out of it but i don't think our church is doing a very good job of it and i say that because I, I don't say that as a knock i don't see most churches doing a very good job of that yeah and this that's the that is the reason for being in a church really it's not to be there on sunday it's to get yourself involved with somebody Who's older than you are and a a stronger, older, mature Christian who can help you walk you through your stage of Christianity to become, you know, that kind of strong, mature Christian.
0: Yeah, I. Yeah, I don't know what's going on in small groups. Uh, That's hard for me to say. I mean, you're all probably like, well, then you don't even participate. And here's also something to be said is. Um, when I said what I said about, you know, Forrest getting up there and sounding like a hypocrite, and I said that, you know, there's the, um, there's elements to this that are just can't be ignored. There are steps that you can take to make sure that those things don't happen or, um, to where you are kind of fighting against the consumerism. It's baby steps at a time. Um, but yeah, there are opportunities that our church is trying to create. Um, On a regular basis, they are constantly trying to teach um, and grow um, people. They have some Jesus classes um, that they offer. Um, A lot of times with a lot of their sermon series, they offer books and literature that you could be reading um, to kind of further your understanding and development. It's not really just a, uh, we're going to preach, make you feel good, and then let you go home. Kind of thing, Uh, where we we've taken care of you. You've given us your your money, and this is kind of what Tim was talking about, where he's like he doesn't just like say what you want to hear. So it's not just about giving us your money and then getting out of here, which is kind of how it feels like from some churches. That's why when we say uh, some pastors don't really have a lot of grit um, to their sermons, they're kind of just soft and they make you feel good and then. And get on out of there, and they do that every single week. Yeah, They're, it's like week in, week out. Um, they followed the uh, the Rick Warren method, <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it does seem like things are just about like buy my book or buy my this or that, buy my product that I'm selling you because um, it's what's best for you and the reason why it's best for you and what a majority of people in the country believe is that, well, it's because I get to be saved out of it. Right. Um, and so that's tough, but going on to what we were talking about with discipleship. Uh, yeah, I know that our, like I said, I know that there's, there's small groups that exist. It's hard. Like we already have a small group, (laughs) um, where we have good genuine discussion with, uh, with guys um, from a variety of age groups um, on a regular basis, um, our Koa group on Fridays. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it happens at a brewery. Uh, there's no thing that says that it needs to happen at a church or at a... And you may sit there and be like, well, are you talking about God every single time? And it's like, nope. And if I am being honest with you, um, most small groups should probably not be talking about God every single time that they meet. You should be getting to know the people, hanging out with them, yeah, doing life with one another. That's discipleship. Um, and it's so that when you are able to, <laughs> uh, you have... Uh, sorry, Tank has been uh, a heathen this evening. And he just walked in with a roll of toilet paper and just plop down and it's like the toilet paper is like half mangled like already go to hell tank (laughs) so i i say that to again we have that already on a regular basis uh for us and so i've never felt the need to get involved i'm already out (laughs) like if it's club water polo season I'm already out five nights a week oh no I get my Mondays off usually so and then I get Tuesdays are podcast and water polo Wednesdays are trivia night Thursdays are water polo Fridays are uh Kawia and then so it's just like and then who knows what's going on on Saturdays and Sundays so yeah it's just a busy it's good um I stay busy I stay having a good time but It's just like on top of that, we want to throw another like where – but it's like, no, I already do that um, with some people. Um, And honestly, what's great about it as far as what our group is, is that one, again, key thing is that it's a variety of age groups. Um, And so we have great conversation. We get to learn um, from each other. Um, I – I feel like an active participant, I feel like people listen when I talk just the same way that I hope that everybody feels that I listen when they speak. Um, And I think that they have lots of wisdom um, to share um, on a regular basis and that's really good and it's wholesome. Um, And again, we're not trying to get anything out of each other, right, like it's not um, buying into this consumer type model where I'm just sitting there and being like, what do I get out of this? Or anything. Honestly, it's just about sitting there and having a good time, um, and taking stress off my plate um, by sharing about my week and um, about what I'm struggling with, and um, hearing about you know what's going good for someone else, or maybe what somebody else is struggling with, and some of the problems that they're having, and that kind of stuff. So. Oh, we had a
1: good discussion two, three weeks ago. Uh, our friend Jay, he's well, should I say, is Jay Jay's sixty. Uh, And then it was Jay Myself, I'm 50-ish I'm early 50s, 51 And then Eric's what, 28? 28? Uh, 28, 28. Yeah, so 28, nice r- Range of Ages there and uh, Eric tends to be More progressive I don't know if he fits a clean category But he's more progressive Jay's certainly very conservative We somehow started talking about homeless And Eric volunteered or jay asked how he knew something about what was going on in the homeless in our area and eric said i go there twice a week i visit these people on a regular basis they're my literally said they're my friends and jay just he wasn't offended but you know that being conservative and having a particular worldview of homelessness just was okay uh why do you feel compelled to do that and eric just flat out looked at jay and said and did it as a as a peer not as someone who's 60 you know his elder and and uh jay to his credit was asking eric as an as a peer not as his elder eric said because jesus said to give to the poor and feed the hungry so that's what I do. I go there and give to the poor and feed to the hungry. That's I literally do it cuz Jesus said to do it and Jay said, "Okay, that's a good answer." So, you know, that was three or four beers in to So, uh and I will say this podcast has become more and more of a conversation starter within our groups, which is that's what my hot topic was. I wanted to say to the listeners out there, we started this little project as something that we would hope would spark other people to do what we what we do on the show and what uh, Colton was just talking about. Having these conversations within your own peer groups, your own group of friends, and so church doesn't have to be just on a Sunday or during a small group time with people that you don't really know very well or don't really... <laughs> to be honest with you, do you don't really like even though you go to church with them. Um and sometimes those aren't the best conversations be also because you're just like minded. So how are you gonna have a really good conversation with like minded people? So um, you know, replicate this where this where you can if you've got the ability to do so. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think again, that's what I would say is um go into the woods, so to speak, um, when it comes to yourself, remove yourself from the idea of the big church and seeing that as church. Um, I think there needs to be a shift where you need to find that discipleship, um, is really what you should be partaking in. Um, and that's why I say that the home church really works nice because you have 10 people or five people or seven people that are all sitting there doing life together where it's like, yeah, when you invite somebody into your home, you're going to ask them like, hey, how's work? Um, How's this? I don't get that on a Sunday morning, right? Like nobody asks me that. I walk in there. I say good morning. I show up late, uh, you know, but I leave that building and I talk to Tim.
1: And I talk to you, and then maybe one of the pastors. Like I don't, I we, we. I really don't know many people there because we don't. I, we're not a part of a small group because our schedules are busy like yours. Uh, we do teach a financial. It's not quite financial piece. It's not Dave Ramsey, but it's similar. We do a financial class once or twice a year. Um, so that's our small group when we're designated to lead that that group. It goes on for about eight weeks. So. But I'm not in a small group of the church, so I'm not really when I yeah. Meet and people, then those
0: people try to avoid Tim after like <laughs> it's all done because then they're like I'm not following it and I don't <laughs> yeah. want him to ask me, so they just literally like they're like I was really good for like eight weeks and then I like spent all my money and I've racked up twenty thousand dollars in credit card debt. Okay, bye, Tim. <laughs> you know, like so they just actively like see him and they're like go 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 get
1: to the car. Yeah, uh, and our churches the. the Our church is big enough that we have probably met five or six couples. Um, We certainly know a couple couples other than you guys um, because they were already going to that church. I don't ever see them because that's how big the church is. And it's not like I would just sprint to the car when service is over. I stand out there and mill around and... Other, you know, if I don't see you, it's kind of like, all right, who else am I going to talk to? <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't really see anyone. I don't even see the people, the other people that I do know in that church, because that's a big problem with modern church, and that's why they have you. Um, that's
0: why they have you get involved. That's
1: why you, they have you get in small group. I will. I I want to say this about small groups, and I think this is one of the problems with small groups in church. The best one that I was that my wife and I w- were involved in was at the previous church we were at and they, they read, they did a reboot on small groups. I think they call them community groups and we did 40 days in the word. I think we did do forty days in the word <laughs> with Danica I had to keep Danica to pipe down. So she didn't ruin it for everybody else. Uh, but they required, uh, this is when we had a, a pastor, an executive pastor that you and I really like JC and he was he's he was and is very missional minded in his view of faith
0: his approach yeah
1: and so he required each group had to not just meet for however long like 10 weeks or whatever it was for that session of the small groups or however long your small group existed you had to adopt some sort of like charity thing to do like agree to clean up a school or whatever and our yeah, group the soup kitchen for our week. group decided to throw our weight into the soup kitchen and we had probably a good chunk of the folks in this in our small group didn't have any desire to help the homeless ha, or had no experience with it it wasn't on their radar of something that was important and that became the the thing that really um uh, cemented the group together why because it gave us a purpose that we got to do and we do it every saturday we did like i think one one saturday a month maybe two saturdays a month but everyone after a while looked forward to that saturday that we did it because again we go humans exist to find purpose in what they're doing right and when all you're doing is sitting around and people are bringing cookies and you're having coffee and you're talking about a book that the church is having you read or you're discussing what the pastor spoke about on Sunday and trying to get more depth into it. It's all fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but that group you're ideally that group needs more purpose than just that to really become some kind of group. That's going to be impactful. And that was a really good model, uh, that I think churches. And if, if your church does that, then that's great. And that's why, uh, you and I are big fans of the home church model, which (laughs) we've been talking about hypocrisy for the last hour and a half. (laughs) Neither one of us are in a home church, so we're hypocrites as well. We just, we did it for a little while. We haven't done it. Um, I think personally I'm still of an old school mindset of, you know, it's good to get up and go to church every Sunday. Um, but it might be something we do again. There's people that we do know that aren't involved in church right now and might might be a catalyst for them to get involved in church and maybe not do it every Sunday, but do it once a month. We just get together because it's not like we're going to our church every Sunday of the month either. Um, I
0: got a joke for when we're off mic. For, <laughs> okay. Or...
1: Um, and that's, you know, that to kind of start wrapping this whole thing up it look being a christian's always in a state of tension and yes you can be amish and decide not to at all engage in consumerism and just live off the grid or be a you know crazy prepper that that doesn't help anybody and all you're now doing is removing yourself from the world and jesus does not want us to be away from we're not supposed to be of the world but we are supposed to be in the world cuz the world isn't going to be improved and more people find out about jesus christ if we're not involved and we're all off off the grid just saying i'm not going to be involved in consumerism and so yes we have to be involved there's some level of consumerism that we need to balance and then also work on constantly telling ourselves do i need that new car do i need that new phone do i need whatever no i don't need that that money is better spent somewhere else um or i it's better for me to stay out of debt so i'm not slave to debt um yes we go to churches that are infected with consumerism but the the lesson there is not to ever have everybody leave and say we're going to start home church and we're just going to or I'm going to go around and try to find a church that's not uh infected by it no the answer is actually as a Jesus follower to do the opposite it's actually to throw yourself more into the situation and try to improve the situation than it is to just right. get upset about it and complain about it um be more involved be less actually be less critical and be more affirmative of your pastor and say and tell him tell him or her what you actually like right. and let's hear more of this pastor um that kind of thing but we have to exist in this tension of it's not i think hypocrisy is not the right word it's just it, it the world's broken and That includes the church, and unfortunately the church itself is not some perfect thing. No. And we have to continue to balance out our imperfections and the church's imperfections in this world, um, while at the same time, I think at some point, trying to make church different than what the world is. And I I do think in somewhere in there, in that consumerism uh, argument, the problem with the church it seemed like a good proposition to make the church more like the culture. And I think at some point that became counterproductive and at some point, probably a future generation, not even my generation or Colton's generation is going to figure out what that new equilibrium is, is of what authentic Christianity is in this new digital world we exist in. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to solve that problem anytime soon because I do think as artificial intelligence and the digital world becomes more and more and more prevalent and we're we're just drowning in it, people are going to be looking for actually the more spiritual, the more natural, the more authentic where they can find it. And if the church continues to market itself in the same digital vein, and that's not to say, you know, oh, you can't hear podcasts are digital that's not what i'm saying um but just trying to sound at and and we'll be on am radio we'll next. Be week. AM radio. we'll be on a ham radio yeah. <laughs> so, if you want to hear our podcast send a self-addressed stamped envelope to <laughs> <Yeah>. p.o box <laughs> yeah
0: we'll hit you with the telegram, with telegram.
1: <laughs> you have anything else to say
0: no, I think we did it justice. Yeah, Tank, go to hell. Jeez.
1: Yeah, other than Tank needing to go to hell, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review so more people can find us. We are on Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, YouTube, etc., etc. Uh, send your comments, questions, whatever. Uh via those different platforms and yes tank once again go to hell